Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we endeavour to tell you everything you need to know about the beautiful game and some of the stuff you don't. My name is Ryan Bailey and joining me today we have the bros with the nose, the mans with the plans and the chances with the answers, starting off with Taylor Rockwell. Hello, that was a rhyming introduction that I definitely approve of. Thank you for that, my friend. You're very welcome. Also here, Mr. Joseph Lowry. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Hello, Ryan. And Graham Rudson rounding out the pack. Hey, G-Unit. Hello, I'm definitely a chancer. Not sure I've got many answers, but we'll see how it goes. We will soon find out, Graham. We'll soon find out. The topic today is timely. Today, we're going to answer the question, what does a soccer player do between seasons? This being timely, of course, for the European seasons, where uh, most of them, except for local ones to Graham, haven't started yet at the time we are recording. So we're trying to find out, um, do players actually have downtime in an era when soccer never sleeps, like New York, the city they named after a place in England, it's so good. That's my understanding. Um, how long do players get off? What do they do in pre-season? What is it they actually do when they're off? And which uh, Mediterranean destination are they all on yachts at? There's lots of questions to be answered here, Tay-Tay. Uh, why don't we start off by sort of tackling how long a modern soccer player actually gets off because these are many of these players in top divisions are playing 60 or 70 games in a season they need themselves a break what's your understanding of how much of a break they actually get mykonos sorry i answered the wrong question i answered the one about where they uh, go in the mediterranean uh my understanding is that they get they are supposed to contractually get four weeks off and maybe that gets sort of spread out over the season because for some players they get one week off but it's anywhere from one week to four weeks for most leagues, I think for other ones like, say, Major League Soccer, it's a little bit longer, but that seems to be the norm is one to four weeks. Yeah, that seems to be the range that we're looking at here. Um, European contracts, by the way, tend to start on July 1st. They expire um, on June 30th. So that gives you an idea of when employment changes for players who are changing from club to club. Um, but the amount of breaks that players get can even vary between teams because of things like uh, summer tournaments for example we've had the olympics and players returning late to their respective squads for that late returns for euro 2020 and for the cop america and for gold cup and so on and so forth um harry kane for example uh who made the news this week as we're recording on monday the august or august 2nd for not reporting back to training for one reason or another uh that was uh almost exactly three weeks after the Euro 2020 final. Leo Messi, uh, as we recalled, also hasn't reported back for Barcelona trading where he was expected to be. Um, and if you look at when the... Maybe we should also talk about when the pre-seasons start so you can get an idea of the sort of window that players are getting off. If we're going to use the European example of uh, seasons finishing in mid-May, the earliest pre-season friendlies for Premier League teams uh, this this season were on the 17th of July. Arsenal and a bunch of other Premier League teams had pre-season friendlies on the 17th of July. It doesn't mean that every player is expected to report for them, um, but that's sort of the dates we're looking at. And if you look at MLS, I looked at, I think it's the upcoming season here pre-season um, teams uh, players were expected to report on March 8th for an April 17th start date um, but Joe I, I think my understanding there is that there'll be training camps prior to that as well and you can get those starting in sort of mid-January when an MLS player is expected to be back and maybe a bit earlier if your team is in CONCACAF Champions League does that match up with your findings Joe? Yeah it's always it's always so early to me, in this whole concept of what do players do over the offseason, what's going on, 
it just helped me realize the level of athletes that we talk about. Like, they play 60, 70 games, like you're saying, Ryan. Some players play fewer games than that because they're not involved in as many international games or maybe they're not quite at that level. But, man, these guys and, and these women are playing so, so, so much. And maybe at times they're playing even too much. Looking into this question, researching this topic, I came across a study from FIFPRO, F-I-F-P-R-O, which is the representative organization of tens of thousands of professional soccer players all over the world. They had a study come out in 2019 called At The Limit. And essentially the research in this study found that the majority of elite players on average had less than the recommended rest time between games, the the medically recommended rest time between games because of the amount of fixtures that they're playing. They also figured out that the lack of recovery associated, this is obvious, but the lack of recovery that players have decreases performance and increases likelihood of injury. I mean, players, it, it really does feel like are playing so, so much, probably too much. And the fact that they can still come out even with one to four to five, six weeks off, the fact that they can still come in and perform at the level they do is just so impressive to me. Um, Graham, as we record in the first week of August, uh, Scotland have already come back to their league play. Uh, yeah. We can talk about Celtic or not. That's up to you. But um, uh, an EFL action is back uh, this coming weekend. As we record, the Community Shield is coming up as well. I think Liga actually starts this weekend too. Uh, are Scottish players uh, getting less uh, break than normal in this season? Um, it's been this way for, for a while because now our, our Scottish clubs are also playing um, European qualifiers at an earlier time so it used to be Scottish clubs would go directly into European competition and now they've got qualifiers so Celtic have already played um, you know a, a round of two rounds of, of European qualifiers how'd that go? Uh, it, it didn't go well for them <laughs> they, <laughs> they uh, were as effective in dropping out of Europe as uh, Britain was in a certain vote a few years oh. ago Um <laughs> But yeah, so it, they're not getting much time at all. And it's, it's difficult to to answer the question of when pre season starts because it's different for all clubs and all leagues, and even for play, same players. Sorry, players at the same club. So you know, Manchester United, um, even looking at Premier League clubs, Manchester United have be, have been in pre season for a number of weeks. They've played pre season friendlies, and yet they've got a number of players. I think Paul Pogba this week has only just returned to to training. I saw a number of players. I think yesterday reporting for training, training Harry Maguire was probably one of them. The the England players that were involved in the Euros. So it's it's all it's all very different schedules, and we can all laugh about how players spend all their time in Miami or getting arrested in Mykonos or how they spend all their time seemingly in the off season in Salt Bay restaurants. I think their footballers <laughs> are keeping Salt Bay restaurants alive. It's like hard rock yeah. cafes to them. Uh, you don't ever see anyone else at Salt Bay restaurants, but <laughs> Premier League footballers. But we can we can joke about all that. But that that downtime um, is is su- it performs such an important role in a player's athletic well being, which is what Joe was referring to there. And without that rec- recovery time, they can't perform at at the top level, at least not indefinitely. And that's why I get really concerned about a player like Pedri, an eighteen year old who's just played his first top level season with Barcelona. His season hasn't ended yet. Barcelona are playing pre-season friendlies right now and he's got the Olympic final against Brazil with Spain and I just think that, that it's such a risk that, that players can be run into the ground because, as I say, that off-season, that downtime is 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 so important to performing at the, their ability to perform at the elite level and it just seems like in the modern game with new competitions and fixtures being added that recovery time is sparser than ever. That's really tragic for Salt Bay that Pedri isn't contributing to the Salt Bay-based economy <laughs> as well. Yeah, absolutely right. That, I mean, I that hope... Barcelona wage is uh, not going to a Salt Bay restaurant right now. 
I hope. Do they still get wages in Barcelona, by the way? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Sorry, Taylor. Oh, no, it's fine. I, I was just wanting to make fun of Salt Bay. Instead, I'll ask this. Graham, uh, we're recording this on August 4th, 2021. Did you say the SPL season has begun? Yeah, that's right. It started at the weekend. So we've had one game? That's correct. And how many Old Firm derbies have there been? I'm assuming three or four. They fit in a couple on Saturday and then one on yep. Sunday night, just for okay. good measure. Perfect, perfect. And it is, it's interesting when we talk about the kind of lack of time that these players are given and how coaches are even seeking to diminish that a little bit because I believe there is a theory slash sort of accepted truth, which is that when Major League Soccer pushed back their schedule and made it last a little bit longer and made more home and away uh, fixtures for playoff, that was intended to extend the season because a then national team coach uh, did not love how much of an off season there was. And so he wanted things to be uh, maybe shorter. And that's why we had an MLS cup final in December in freezing, freezing conditions. Oh yeah. That was, that was living. Um, by the way, speaking of MLS, I have taken the courtesy of contacting an MLS player for his perspective um, on this on this question that we're facing here about players having time off between seasons. The player is Brant Bronico, who played for three seasons with the Chicago Fire. He's now with the world's greatest club, Charlotte FC. Uh, so I shot him a few of these uh, sort of questions around this. And the first one I asked him was, how long do MLS players get off? And I wanted to get the answer straight from the horse's mouth. Um, Brant said, depending on if you qualify for playoffs or not we usually get one to two months off during off season if you make it all the way to mls cup it's around one month off and if you don't qualify for playoffs teams have the option to require you to train until thanksgiving and then you're off till around mid-january so there's a bit of perspective on the mls way of doing things um gents we should talk about what exactly happens during the off season do players sort of go like nfl players and go and just eat bojangles for several months or do they actually work out why don't we tackle all that after a very short break in which we're going to talk about um express vpn coming up right now here it is taylor I need a secure encrypted tunnel mm-hmm. between my digital device and the internet so my online activity can't be seen by anyone else. Have you got any ideas? Yeah, I mean, I think get uh, a couple really good tunneling crews. You could dig those tunnels. You could connect them mm-hmm, all over mm-hmm, the place. Mm-hmm. That seems like it's going to require a lot of infrastructure. Elon Musk still hasn't done his car tunnel under L.A. So I think if we're using that one to scale, you're going to be in, in for a process, Ryan. So maybe, just maybe, the best way to go is with ExpressVPN. Express VPN. It's a VPN service, Taylor. It's not just a VPN service. It's my favorite VPN service. Uh, to be clear, using the internet without Express VPN, it's a bit like going to the bathroom and not closing the door. You're leaving yourself vulnerable, Tay-Tay. <laughs> Did you know that ISPs, internet service providers, uh, I, I, I talk in acronyms, I'm fancy, mm. they can sell information to ad companies and tech giants who can use your data to target you. If you go anonymous with a VPN, they can't do that. And one of the best, best, best things about a VPN, the thing I use it for most, is you can fool. You can fool uh, your device <laughs> into thinking you're in a different country. For example, I'm in a different country right now, Taylor. I'm in the United Kingdom. I am indeed. Hmm. And you didn't even know it because I fooled you as well. I didn't. Uh, I fooled, uh, I fooled um, my, my computer as well because using ExpressVPN thinks I'm in one of several US locations that I can tap into straight away. And I don't just do that just to fool people and for subterfuge reasons, Tay-Tay. You're not I just do a spy? It. That's good to know. Um, well, don't say it out loud. I mean, you've given the game away, but thanks very much. But I also use it to uh, watch my HBO Max, my Hulu, mm-hmm. my Fubo. I can use them all outside of the United States with a VPN. Which would be 
for you moving from a place where you have all these subscriptions and easy access to them, I have heard many people complain about the lack of access and easy access to a lot of the games in the Premier League and elsewhere. So I'm glad that you still have that. But Ryan, I assume it's limited only to your laptop and nothing else. <laughs> That's where you're wrong. It works on phones, laptops, <laughs> even routers. So everyone who can share your Wi-Fi can be protected, Tay-Tay. Uh, ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel, as we've mentioned, between your mm-hmm. devices and the internet. And it can make you uh, your online activity go a little bit more anonymous and it can hide your location. Close that bathroom door. That's all I say, Tay-Tay. Close that bathroom door. And I think, I think we're giving an opportunity to listeners to help them close that door a little bit. We are right? indeed. Close that door and instead secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash soccer today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash soccer. Uh, D-O-T, you don't have to spell that out. You can just put the period. And then you do have to spell out C-O-M for com slash soccer. And you can get an extra three months free expressvpn.com slash soccer. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of Soccer 101 and for letting me watch HBO Max. Bye! Welcome back to Soccer 101. Taylor, I'm coming to you because I want to know your understanding of what a professional soccer player does during their downtime. We've established Mm. um, the Salt Bay connection here and the Salt Bay economy to which they contribute. They are obviously getting very salty, high quality beef um, (laughs) at some point during their summer break or their, their, their break that they have from their seasons. What else are they getting up to, do you think, Taylor? I think there's a few different things that they're getting up to when they are given time away, actual time away from their clubs. I think they are physically resting and recovering, uh, and that can be maybe they're having medical procedures they put off. That's what Marcus Rashford is going to do. And there's (laughs) other players who I think will wait to get stuff done, and then they have some time to recover and get kind of physically caught up. And that can even be as as minute as reestablishing sleeping patterns. I read a little bit about that, about players will kind of use the offseason to reset to make sure that they're back on the right sleep schedule because the season can be so disruptive and hard to find time to sleep. If you have an 8 p.m. kickoff and then you're getting home at midnight and you still have the adrenaline, it's tough to go to bed early. So finding ways to compensate for that seems to be part of it. Mentally recovering is another big one. And then having fun. And I have theories on why the having fun tends to be so extreme. And it's not just money, although that's a big part of it. But there is an element of you are asked to do very specific things in very specific ways for very long amounts of time. Go do whatever you want to do, and that tends to lead to alcohol and shenanigans. Oh, dear, alcohol and shenanigans. And talking about the sleep, by the way, Taylor, that's an intriguing part that I didn't even think about. I didn't think about how much a, a player's sleep is disrupted. I remember reading an article about Ronaldo, um, Cristiano Ronaldo, when he was at Real Madrid and how he'd had those ice chamber baths yep. um, after games. And sometimes he'd get home at 2 or 3 a.m. and he'd still do that because he has so much adrenaline after a game, particularly a late game, he just can't get to sleep. And speaking of Brant Bronico, who, uh, to who, uh, whom I quoted earlier, I was listening to him discuss um, playing on a different podcast where he says even after a regular sort of Saturday afternoon game he's got so much adrenaline that he can't sleep until like 3am going into Sunday morning which I think is quite common among a lot of professionals so he has to find ways to catch up on that sleep during the season as well as do many other professionals so it might be um, yeah a a, a facet of the off-season that we don't often discuss Joe what are your thoughts on this about the off-season and what players get up to keep it PG yeah, so there's there's a lot of vacationing and, and maybe 
that's not necessarily true for every player. But in terms of what we see publicly, there's a lot of vacationing. There's hanging out with family. Uh, there's also training, right? Players are still working and, and working to improve. I think of Christian Pulisic training with Eddie Johnson in 2018, and maybe he's done it since then. Either former pro, either former pros that they're training with, or, or you know, fellow professionals, and they're working to improve their game as a group. There's also this whole other. Yeah, we've talked about the Salt Bay eco- economy. There's this whole other ecosystem of players that's outside of this elite stratosphere, right? There's lower division players. Uh, in the United States, there's the NWSL who are currently fighting uh, as they're approaching a collective bargaining agreement. The Players Association is fighting for for more pay. And so there are players that don't make as much money that can't afford to just take the offseason off and go to Mykonos or Ibiza and, and play and, and vacation, whatever. There are there's a campaign going on right now in the NWSL by the Players Association called hashtag No More Side Hustles, and they're doing this as they approach the CBA, as I mentioned, and and it's a way to raise awareness for the fact that so many of their players, even high level players, and, and players that have been maybe even fringe national team U.S. Women's National Team players, have still very recently had to go and get one or two other jobs at times, in addition to raising children and, and different things like that that maybe we don't even think about. The current minimum player salary for the twenty uh, twenty 2021 NWSL season, the minimum is $22,000 and the maximum is $52,500. There are these players that are making 30 grand a year that are going and spending their off season and even times during the season working other jobs. Jessica McDonald is a player who's featured for the U.S. Women's National Team before. She's played for the North Carolina Courage, just a phenomenal goal scorer in NWSL. She tweeted out that she's worked at Amazon packing uh, packing boxes 10 hours a day while she's still trying to maintain the lifestyle of being a professional athlete and all the mental challenges and physical work that goes into that. She'd pack boxes, she'd go to training, maybe she'd train other other kids as well, and just so many other streams of income needed. So there is this alternate reality that's very real to a lot of people, but alternate to the elite stratosphere of professional players where a lot of a lot of folks during the offseason are working their tails off making money. Wow. That was a, a, a facet I didn't even think about as well, Joe. Thank you for sharing that one. Um, I, I also caught up with Brent, Brent Bronico about this question, sort of asking what he does and what uh, MLS professionals do um, during during the downtime, whether they work out, what where, where they go. And Brent says, uh, usually MLS players will visit family and train with other pros in their hometowns or their former college programs to stay in shape and stay as sharp as they can. As far as vacation goes, says Brent, usually everyone goes on one pretty close to when the season ends but not more than three to five days being a professional says brent we have a responsibility to stay disciplined to, to the game we devote our lives to so usually everyone comes back to the next preseason ready to go and i found this really interesting graham because I, I found an article um on the guardian from 2017 which said back for preseason but no real break how footballers' summers have changed. And this article, Graham, in The Guardian, sort of talks about how many Premier League sides provide off-season training plans now. Apparently, Arsenal players actually demanded this some time a while ago. And this article follows Bournemouth, and how um, the, the argument being that players now start preseason for for top level players uh, in better shape than how they ended it 15 years ago. And uh, a Bournemouth player apparently once went on vacation with the fitness coach to keep up with things. And this uh, this article saying that around half the squad at Bournemouth at this particular time, who were in the Premier League at the time, uh, came in during their summer vacation during their time off for voluntary workouts. Um, the the, uh, the the thrust of this article being that 
modern players, you know, they make far more high intensity runs. They need to be in peak conditioning. They can't afford to let it slide for even a matter of days like they may have done in the past, Graham. Yeah, and I think there is definitely that expectation expectation now of certainly elite level players i mean you've seen uh, the, the other the other kind of common thing you'll see is from elite players on their instagrams or twitter or social feeds is them posting pictures of to kind of prove that they're keeping themselves fit so i'm thinking of Jaden sancho was posting pictures of him doing sprints on the beach which you know I, I don't know how much he's doing of that it looks good and it looks like he's getting ready to go at manchester united after a big transfer and everyone wants to avoid uh do you, do you remember when Henrik Mkhitaryan came back one summer yes. and he, it looked like he had a shirt up his ball, uh, a shirt up his ball, <laughs> a ball up his shirt, sorry, when he, uh, <laughs> when he took uh, pre-season pictures. Uh, was it a Manchester United or Arsenal? Can't remember. But yeah, you want to avoid doing that. And if you're a Bayern, Bayern Munich player, you get swole when you're not, uh, yeah. when you're not, when you're not playing. I mean, Leon, Leon Goretzka came out of lockdown last year, like he'd uh, got the Captain America procedure. Uh, and has anyone seen Donny van der Beek this season? Taylor, no. have you seen van der Beek? Well, has anyone? He, <laughs> has Solskjaer? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's put on some, some, muffle, uh, some uh, muscle, some beef in a good way, not oh. in the Mkhitaryan way. So, uh, a right. new power uh, cube, Graham? <laughs> power cube uh, squared. There we go. <laughs> I did start, by the way, I just want to... I don't know if I ever said this in our Euro coverage. I did start listing in my lineups that Jaron Chikiri was just uh, Cube. I didn't even write his name anymore. <laughs> I just wrote Cube. Uh, that makes me happy that Donny van der Beek has come back in physically fit and ready to go and, and, and chiseled. I, I think in watching the Leeds uh, documentary, the Leeds All or Nothing, we learned that Marcelo Bielsa does very comprehensive weigh-ins and fat testing. And I think there are lots of obstacles put in place to make sure... That aside from just wanting to look good on social media, players are definitely working very hard uh, to not get yelled at as soon as they come back from training. Because unlike other sports, like baseball, there are all those stories about a player showing up 30 pounds overweight, and it's just sort of like, all right, well, we'll get you into shape for the season. I, I think it's it's sort of like you show up for preseason in good physical shape with good fitness, ready to improve that, not showing up to get your fitness up in time for the start of the season the way I think it probably used to be way back yeah. when. I think the I think the days of of tales of players the first day of preseason you know spewing their guts up I yeah. think they're gone at least at the at, at the elite level. Yeah, I think as Brand said that you know this is this is the sport these players devote their lives to, and you know now more than ever it's it's essential to be in peak fitness because that's what differentiates the game from what it was 15 20 years ago is that it's much more high intensity so it's more important to yeah. come back to pre-season ready and you mentioned Mkhitaryan Graham there were some photos of Neymar circulating on social media this week as well a lot of body shaming going on for Neymar which isn't so hot but it did kind of raise the point that maybe he he didn't appear to be in peak f- uh, physical condition um, going into this league uh, season which as I mentioned uh, does start this coming weekend as we record Ward. So I think I found, James- I found my favorite one. I'm sending it to you all now, and I'll have to like post it later. But the one that we haven't mentioned is Il- Ilkay Gundogan. Like legendary status showed up when he was still at Borussia Dortmund. Uh, there you go, fellas. You can check your uh, your WhatsApp for that one. But he showed up with some poundage, a little bit of chunk to him. I don't think he went the same way at uh, Man City with Pep in charge. I feel like that would be a stronger reaction if he showed up with a bit of a belly on. It's just extra summer. bite in midfield, Taylor. There we just go. Extra there bite. we go. I mean, he had a few extra <laughs> bites, which maybe gave him that extra bite. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
He certainly throws his weight around in the middle of the park, but not quite like in that picture you have sent around, Taylor. Um, so I think we, we have discussed, uh, uh, we've covered off pretty well how long players get off and what they yeah. kind of do in the in their break time and the lack thereof. And it's very much a varying situation depending on the level of player um, that we're dealing with here. Maybe we can talk a little bit about pre-season, which is an essential part of this whole process as well. And what actually happens in preseason and how preseason might differ to the regular season in terms of in terms of um getting back into condition and obviously we know there are preseason friendlies as i've described they've been uh, since mid-july players uh, teams have been doing those top teams as well and reading that article taylor uh, on the guardian the, the one that referred to bournemouth once again it's called back for preseason but no real break how football has summer's changed i recommend uh, listeners uh, check that one out it explains how they were doing body fat measurements upon their mm-hmm. return and they are very much checking up on these players yep. uh, they're not wearing those little um vests with the with the gps in them all summer long so i guess they have to sort of check in with them when they come back in uh and I, i've actually got another a note from brant here brant thank you so much for contributing so much to this podcast i feel like you should be on it with us here but i asked him how preseason training differs uh for mls and in his experience as well uh and he says in mls preseason training consists of multiple training sessions and strength sessions per day there are not too many days off and teams pick usually pick one or two places uh warmer places like florida or arizona shout out to you joe to stay oh, yeah. for two to three weeks so players can focus on pre-season with no distractions and play against other MLS teams. It's a lot on the body, but the focus is ultimately to prepare you so you can stay healthy for the duration of the season. Brand, thank you very much for that. That's a that's a very interesting perspective. And I know that kind of thing in MLS, that's sort of mid-January when I think those camps kind of start up is my understanding. Um, Taylor, what's your thought on, on pre-seasons and how they go down? I mean, I think they go down aggressively frighteningly intimidatingly at first would be my assumption because Mm -hmm. if you're showing up and there are those weigh-ins and there are those fitness tests and can you i remember in college we had to run two miles in 12 minutes and we had to do the beep test and if you didn't do that then you couldn't play until you did in college like for the rec team for for what 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 no, I played one year of college ball. I mean, I sat on the bench for one year of college, basically. Uh, but oh. yes, when I showed up thinking I was the man from being so good in high school and uh, big fish, small pond sort of situation, thinking I didn't really need to do that much physical like exercise and didn't need to be in the best possible shape, I was wrong, emphatically so. And maybe that's a good way <laughs> to continue it, which is that if you do show up not in the best shape, not ready to go... That puts you back because they will probably, if there are tests you have to pass, then you have to work until you can pass those tests, which means a lot of running and a lot of cardio and a lot of work in the gym. But then you are behind, and you're the player who showed up late that isn't ready to go, and other players then are in training before you are and are getting those minutes. And you can fall really quickly out of a manager's estimations if you haven't come in ready to go. And I think that intensifies the pressure that these players are already under. And it's especially the case when... As we've talked about, like Paul Pogba, not back in training yet. So you can have Man United Academy players or maybe a new signing coming in who could theoretically have some really good performances and jump into that spot. But then when Pogba comes back in and it's sort of like, all right, well, that's his. You did great. But now what are you going to do next? Like you have to continue 
to perform and improve in a way that keeps you in contention and doesn't kind of completely physically destroy you. And I think it's it makes it really difficult and really challenging because we've always seen players, Julian Green for Bayern Munich, scoring goals in preseason, and we all thought, like, all right, he's staying with Bayern this season. It's going to be his breakthrough year, and they immediately loaned him because even with all that said, preseason still doesn't necessarily mean that much for the way the overall season's going to go. Um, Joe... Are the streets of Phoenix, Arizona littered with MLS players struggling to get back into shape uh, at certain times of year? <laughs> Phoenix and Tucson both because there's there's often MLS preseason games down in Tucson. And so it is a bit of a hub for players. To, I, I haven't seen a lot of them doing bear crawls up and down uh, the highway. Here. How about eating bear crawls? <laughs> Not that either, although that sounds quite nice. A lot better What's a than bear what crawl? I said. It's like uh, the elbow over elbow. You're on the ground, kind of in a plank position, when you and crawl you're, you're like a bear. Forward. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of that vision that Graham just I'm, gave you. I thought bears walked along like Yogi with picnic baskets. Sorry, <laughs> oh, continue. You're right. My bad. You're right. Uh, I, one one thing I wanted to add for this preseason discussion is, from a tactical standpoint and from a from a training session standpoint, there is a lot of the physical work. But preseason is also the time for players to be fed a lot of information from coaches, and and good coaches can simplify it and translate it to their players and really communicate that effectively. But uh, from different environments that I've been around at a professional level, not playing, but observing more so than anything, it's a chance for coaches to communicate to their players what they want them to be doing in all the different phases of play. So in possession, in a defensive block, high pressing uh, it would fall into that category as well. Attacking transitions, so counterattacks, and then counterpressing, which is defensive transition. It's a chance for them to work on those things on a more macro level and really uh, communicate the principles of play. And then as preseason continues and they get games in, they can narrow it down and get more specific and work on different phases that way. And then once the season starts, hopefully they'll have a general idea of how they should be playing under the manager. And then they can work on just cleaning up little things throughout the season, game planning for specific opponents, sharpening things up, things like that. So preseason, in addition to all the strength and fitness things, it's also a really important tactical time for managers to get their ideas across to their players. Definitely. And that, that, that feeds into the idea of players who move clubs as well, Joe. Um, it's very important for them to get on board with the tactics. I imagine if you move to a Maurizio Sarri team, you've got to get used to doing things differently and for inhaling lots of cigarette smoke uh, simultaneously. <laughs> uh, speaking of cigarette smoke, Graham, Wayne Rooney um, sort of famously used to come to preseason and maybe the first few games of the season, not quite looking at his peak. Um, yeah. What's your understanding of, of the preseason training? Yeah, well, now Wayne Rooney just comes to preseason and uh, crunches yeah, <laughs> youth players, players. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and rules them out for three months, <laughs> sidelines them for three months. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think Taylor and Joe have kind of covered. I was going to mention the the more the tactical side of things, where I read recently. I seem to be referencing Manchester United a lot in this podcast, but I was I was um, it's fine reading that. <laughs> you're okay with that, Taylor? I am. Um, I am. I was reading that Solskjaer is is planning on on moving his team into a four three three, which is different to what he what was the case last season and, and maybe even the season before that, and so that's going to require quite a lot of tactical work. And given particularly last season where we had a congested fixture schedule and there wasn't a lot of time to work on on um, you know tactics or game plans or or anything of that sort of kind on, on the training pitch, it feels like this preseason in particular, twenty twenty one preseason, is really important for managers to get their their ideas across and uh, yeah basically what what joe was talking about 
<laughs> what Joe was talking about is always the best way to uh, consider these podcasts, I find. He is the fountain of knowledge, after all. <laughs> um, gents, I think I'm pretty satisfied with us answering this question. The one, the one facet I was going to talk about is payment. Uh, I, mm. I saw some questions about whether players actually get paid during the off-season. And, uh, uh, excluding Joe's example of uh, the, the, the unfortunate players who have to take part-time jobs elsewhere, yes, professional players generally are paid all year long, like a regular employee would be. Taylor, are you yes. satisfied at this point, sir? I am. I would like to say one thing about, like, in terms of being satisfied, one thing maybe we could all remember. Like, Harry Maguire is the one that stands out of people having a few too many and maybe not being a great representative of England abroad. Although in some ways that is an accurate representation of England abroad. Uh, TSS but... lawyers are on standby, by the way, Taylor. <laughs> but, like, I think what I, what, I, what I realized, and, like, I wouldn't go fully with this analogy, but, like... In a lot of ways, there are parallels between like top-tier professional footballers and people who have jo- chosen a career in the military. Obviously, a career in the military is going to put you at much more risk, but you're basically you kind of forfeit control of a lot of the aspects of your life. That you have people telling you how to sleep and when to sleep and what to eat and how to eat and where you can go and what you can't do and when you have time off, and you are under control all the time, and you're always being coached and instructed and adjusted and hey you didn't do this we're monitoring your sleep you slept five minutes later you were on your phone like there's so many aspects of things that are controlled that essentially like think of it as a soldier giving being given leave like that's what you're doing except it's a 21 year old with millions of dollars like they are absolutely going to go out and blow off some steam and sort of do whatever they want what you would do if you were 21 with millions of dollars and you finally didn't have people looking over you. It's what a lot of people do when they go to college, except in this case, the college would sort of be continuing to enforce the rules. And so it's players basically who haven't had a ton of personal freedom. A lot of guys who had been living with their parents until they became professional athletes are now given this opportunity. And so it's easy to criticize them when they're drunk and maybe misbehaving. And I think Harry Maguire, again, is the one that maybe takes it too far. But like there was the clip of Kyle Walker I believe in Mykonos and he was visibly drunk and people were kind of frustrated by that. But it's like a guy who just played in the Euro final has a whole season ahead of him, has a whole season behind him. I forgive him for having a few drinks and enjoying himself. I forgive him. I'm visibly drunk right now. There um, we go. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, any more on this one? No, just uh, exactly what Taylor was saying there. I, I don't like the the a lot of the criticism that players face in their in the, in the off season for having a bit of fun they they literally get at least at the elite level they get a week and a whole year to to have to do whatever they want so yeah. i say let them do what they want and as a, as i kind of referenced earlier that that actually that downtime plays an important role in the mental side of things as well just mm-hmm. having that downtime not focusing on on uh, you know high pressure environments that's that's what they're facing on a week to week basis so not having that for a week or two is good for their athletic well-being yeah. as well. Yeah, that's a very important point to note as well, Graham. Any more important points from you, Joseph Larry? Oh, I'm all important pointed out, Ryan Bailey. Oh, well, that means it's the time we must conclude this episode of Soccer 101. Thank you very much, gents, for your contributions. Thank you, listener, for doing that listening thing that you do. <laughs> we'll be back with you shortly. Thank you very much. Bye! Bye! <laughs>